Hello and welcome to the review for the 15th of November 2022. I'm your host, Graham McKay, and I'm joined, as always, by the yin to my yang. It's Christian Wolf. How are you, Christian? Hello, the German-sounding Norwegian, joined by the, the German-based... I don't know where I'm going with this. It's been a long day, to be honest with you. But we're here. I'm glad to have you back. This is like, what, three, three four weeks in a row now? It almost never happened because the uh, guy asked me to do the agenda and I couldn't do it. So I think I would have been wrenched away from well, this if I'd agreed. You, you probably so. could, but you thought, oh, he's going to pull me off the review then. Yeah, so, the review, yeah. The review, uh, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, so review. Uh, so how are you? What have you been up to over the last week? Anything exciting? Mm, people ask me that and I go, what have I been doing? Um, no, I've been fine. Um, Max had a football tournament on Sunday, so for up for that. And it's just, just really been working, you know. My my um, smallest child, uh, he has a name, and... <laughs> <laughs> he was ill pretty much all last week, so it's limited amount of sleep. But but he's, he's, he's okay again now. So but it's good. But when, you still... open, when you open the middle of the night, what well, better opportunity to watch some like Celtic Motherwell uh, again? You know. So did you go to Air United Hamilton? I did not go to Air United Hamilton. I did go to. Well, this is we could have talked about this last week. The last week I went to Air United. Um, Morton. Morton. Yeah, you yes. told us about that. You're, I did. Okay. I don't know what you're day it is. Yeah, you're I did. No, I did not go to Air United. Um, uh, Hamilton, although my pal went, who's a Air United fan. And tell you what, um, the, the, the cafe, so the, there's a cafe uh, on the school run uh, in Air, and the guy who runs this, his son is uh, essentially usually a substitute for Air United, but he, he finally came on against um, Hamilton, had an assist for the 2-1 and scored an own goal to make the 2-2. But Air uh, United went on to win 3-2. So, I mean, the top of the league, Graham. So, I mean, for every round now, we're getting a bit closer to, to Celtic coming to me. So yeah. I don't have to come to Celtic. Celtic will come to me. If, it, if, if, so that would be great. Did, they, did we not play did, did we not play Air and Carlton Cole scored? Or am I mixing things up? He scored no, against that wasn't air. He's somebody else, wasn't it? It was a team like air, a bad team. <laughs> okay, <Mark. laughs> uh, I'm I'm getting pre- prepared for the, the invasion of the mother. So I'll get a mum visit coming up. So uh, obviously we talked about this before. How long is this one? This is nine days, which nine is, days. is not bad. Um she, she at one point said that uh, she, it'd, be good, it'd be good if she could come over for a month in, in, in winter. And uh, I tried to kind of make her see that it's not going to be the same in the winter because she's not going to be able to sit outside in the sunshine because it's going to be freezing cold and I'm going to be at work. So I'm, I'm giving her this little preview of nine days of what it's going to be like in the winter in Germany, sitting in a house with no English, uh, British TV. And uh, yeah. So, so your mum's retired, right? Mm-hmm. So... What is really stopping you from having your mum over four or five months of the year? Is there anything like because mom, my my mom is about to retire next year, and I was like, don't even think about it. But what, 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 I think my brother would murder me because uh, she's oh, she's uh, a babysitter. The, yeah, she's a babysitter. So yeah, I've got that to fall back on. So I mean, there's only I mean, there's a solution to that, Graham. Like, have kids as well. Or? Yeah, there you go. 
So I, I went up there. I'll have three kids and one up my brother. <laughs> and, that's the worst reasons. And and enough of this. So I got I get the feeling that you were re-watching the game last night because you were putting a lot of screenshots in chat. <laughs> uh, that we're, we're not we're not going to spend any time on Celtic Motherwell, but we're going to we're going to look in depth at uh, Celtic Ross County, the last game of the first half of the season. Five weeks off now. We didn't finish with a bang, Christian, but I don't know. It was. A, I thought it was an enjoyable game. It was. It was. I didn't get as uh, listening to like uh, Colin today on the agenda, and he seemed to be quite anxious about the game. But I, I, and Kieran, obviously, because that's Kieran's default position. Yeah. Um, but I, I, th- I thought it was fun, and I didn't even feel worried when we went one down because I just have the feeling that we're going to come back anyway. What, what did you make of the game overall? Well, as you can see by my uh, ten pages of notes, yeah, it's no. I, I think Ross County is weirdly interesting from a tactical point of view because we talked about this last week and when, when we talked about them on the review uh, here before as well. It's like they definitely do have one of the most extreme man marking like systems. I, I think of any team in. In Scotland, okay, maybe if you go a little bit back to Derek Leganis's Aberdeen a couple of times, um, but I think even this is like, like pure man marking, and it's it's it makes it a bit more. I guess <laughs> you know when you rewatch these Scottish Premiership games week in week out, a lot of them you know, can turn a bit like a lot of the teams do the same stuff. So you have like Motherwell. You know, we talked about it in the preview for the Motherwell game. They do slightly different, and the Ross County team they do that. I mean, they still sit deep, but they don't really like try some sort of hybrid of you know a low block and but a bit of solo. This is just just follow a man, and that, that kind of makes it a bit more interesting. Uh, I think tactically, so I enjoy that. I mean, the game itself, it, it's, it's a funny one because you. I think Celtic have had a few games in a row now where they've, you know, not only result-wise, but performance-wise, that it's not like it's not clicking at times. And it's not like you're utterly terrified that I won't go as, as you know, the one dead with the three points. But there is an element, and we can maybe dive into this when we have a, a big break now in terms of the overall stats from the first part of the season where it's not, you know, creating the amount of chances or the amount of shots that you did at the start of the season. And I, I think there's probably good reasons for that. I think rotation and so on. I think that the schedule is another, I think, key players missing, like Cal McGregor, for example, and what that means to the number eight role has something to do with that. And then you have... You know, there's a lot of other rotation on, on the fullbacks. Um, well, I think the fullbacks were really interesting this game. If you come back to, but it, it's kind of, I'm I'm glad there's. I, I think after this, I'm I'm just like I'm going to miss Celtic for the next few weeks. But I'm also kind of glad they're having a proper reset of the season now because I think I think it's slightly needed at this point. What what is it? Do you think is getting stale? Um, is there anything getting stale? Is it just a case of having like two games a week for so long that it's he's maybe not had enough time in the training ground, or is there any other reason you can think of? It's a bit nitpicky, isn't it? Because they are creating a lot of chances. Uh, I mean, they are creating 
the results they have are pretty much backed up. You know, well, it's one of the things we can look at is in the next few weeks is the expected points table. But I, I, it, it's been a re- I mean, this is what we're talking about, 23 games. And from this, essentially the end of July, the start of August to the middle of November, that's an incredible hectic schedule. And I think the rotation comes into that as well. And I, I'm not saying I, I want the Celtics playing badly, right? I think there, there are issues that there are some are, you know, a lot less than the issues they've had in previous season and even last season, I, I think. And they're a lot more consistent. But I, I think for me, it comes back to injuries and the rotation, first of all. And there's so many of them. And, and I think there's a plan to that rotation. I think there's obviously you do that now to make sure that once you start up again, first of all, you've, you've prevented, you know, major injuries. And then you kind of have this reset, this kind of preseason, then you go again. And you should probably, what you put in rotations now, you should get back. But I, I think it's a little to do with that. Uh, it's not a settled team as such. And a couple of the key players have been, have been missing. That fits the system really well as well. You, you would like to think that the players going to the World Cup are probably not, for the most part, going to get many games because I don't even know if CCV will start. I can't imagine America goes very far. Um, Japan, I can't imagine they're going to go very far either. I think the only one is uh, Juranovic and he, he could go quite long into the tournament. Is there is there kind of a, a worry there, or are we are we all still just expecting JJ to be gone anyway? Is going to be someone else's concern after the the window? No, I I don't think JJ is going anywhere. To be honest with you, uh, maybe in the summer, but I, well, I said that it's uh, no, I it's, I mean Juranovic is obviously he's been one of the ones who's been rotated the most uh, as well, and I think a few games. And Qatar wouldn't really, you know, he would have played those games here in Scotland if it wasn't for that. And he'll have a wee break afterwards as well. So, no, I, I don't see that as an issue of them. Um, I mean, Australia might go all the way to the final. So, something need to get down to number eight in because Aaron Moy will be shattered yeah. in, in that heat. I mean, I hope <laughs> he's got, you know, sun cream. That's, that's just, just yeah. how does you, you said that? I didn't. But yeah. just, uh, we, we, since since we last spoke, the the the, can, the shock announcement for a lot of people, I guess, would be that Hatate and Kyogo didn't make the Japan squad. What what do you make of that? I mean, especially when you consider Hatate is probably having his best season of his career. First of all, I make of that that I have zero to known knowledge of the Japanese national team and the type of players in there. <laughs> the place that we kind of go, oh, can't believe that because. Um, and yeah, I mean, just anybody can see how good Rio Tate, everybody can see how good Kyoga Firohashi is, but that's, that's the thing with World Cup squad is like coaches have a, a certain plan, a certain viewpoint of it, and there's so many things that that can play into that. That even if it, if it was Scotland and Norway, and you, you would be completely all favoured all that and kind of ins and outs you go you know, that, if you sit on the other side of the world and try to like you know make assumption about why he hasn't picked Hatati I don't know to be honest with you but Rio Hatati could 
you know, people talk about him as, oh, you know, is, is there a specific playing style that Japan had that he doesn't fit in? And I go, what playing style does Riyad had to not fit into in terms of being a midfielder? I, I think he could play in whatever you need him to do. I think he has the physicality, um, the technique, the speed, um, the vision to do anything. You know, if, if you asked him to, to sit and, you know, be a hard tackling midfielder, I, t- I think he could probably do that as well. You know, so it's it, it's an odd one, but then you kind of go, ah, you know, get Dan Alowitz on, get him on and tell us why. Why? We had Japanese go. Yeah, yeah. So Japanese bowed, but okay. That's okay. It's acceptable. So we did we did create chances, as you said, against West County. We ended up with an XG of 2.48 against a uh, non-penalty XG of 0.12, which is a pretty solid defensive effort from, from us as well. Your your first kind of point you you mentioned was in man marking. Um, I guess it was effective against us if we created that much in chances. And like, why do why do why does their mechanics and why why is Malcolm McKay why do they adopt these pro- this approach? What is it that they think they're going to get out of it more than like any other kind of way of defending against us? Yeah, no, I, I think it was effective. I'll come on to tell you exactly how effective. But but yeah, it's it, it is was as man marking focus as, as as I thought of it. You know, it was you got these scenarios like wherever your fullbacks go, the wingers go, wherever your central midfielders go, especially within Ross County South, they go. And so it's it's almost not a defensive block in well, it's a defensive block that's completely determined by your position as in Celtic. So where you kind of place your players, your opposition goes. Um, so it's, it's completely reliant on your position away. You're not protecting much space. You're just going to man marking. And I guess the concept of it, the thought behind it is that it's, it's simple. Yeah. And. You're never dragged out of space because you always stick to your man. And you know, it's in terms of having a sort of defensive system, you know, it's a, quite a pretty easy message to give, isn't it? In terms of you stick to that, and then as kind of Stephen Russell pointed out in his, his newsletter as well, the concept of this man marking is that you then always have a plus one at the back. So you always have one player in your team that isn't specifically man-marking somebody so they can kind of move into the space that's needed. And with Ross County and most other man-markings team is is one of your centre-backs, right? So then obviously you need to give up one of your position players in terms of not marking them, which would be inevitably one of your centre-backs. So you have, you know, a strike one to a centre-back. So it's, I think it's the simplicity of it. And I think you, as I say, you you almost can't lose a player in space if you stick to them. So I think it's a simplicity, but it also comes with, I always think it will come back to the fact that if, if you do this, if you set up your team man to man, who's usually going to win is the team with the better players, to put it really simply. And that's what always happens with Celtic and Aberdeen when Derek McInnes tried to do this. It, it is what happens here as well eventually. So I, I think at some point 
if you're that man mark focused at some point somebody's going to make a mistake there's going to be a space it's going to be an individual you know touch of brilliance and if that's all it takes from one player to go past one player you know that's it's a high risk thing but again I, I thought Roscampton did this quite effectively and I think especially over the first well really up to Celtic scored because uh, there was a couple of I think slight differences between what Roscampton tried to do here and what they've done in the other games so first of all we talked about like the plus one person there and so so before Ross County has had a striker on two of the centre-backs and the striker would kind of shuffle between them and wouldn't pressure too aggressively too hard it depends kind of depends where the centre-backs were as well but in this game there was a lot more where the attacking midfielder Tilson who would sit on O'Reilly or, or whoever was in the number six role would leave O'Reilly to his striker White to take over that. So there was a slight flexibility in that Tilson didn't stick on O'Reilly all the time. He could shuffle over and pressure Jens and White could come over and sit on O'Reilly. And then if the ball went over, White could go back over on CCV and then Tilson would come on O'Reilly again. So there was a there was a slight flexibility in there about using your two front people uh players to kind of try and pressure three of Celtics, which I think quite well. And I think they moderated themselves a little bit, Ross County, especially say if Celtic was kind of in Ross County's final third when the ball went back. County still focused man on man, but they didn't follow them too tight. So they would kind of let them go 10, 15 yards up the pitch and kind of wait for them to come back again and follow them. Still have a focus on them, still stay in line with them, but it wasn't that you know, over the top where if you go to the bathroom, I'm going to go there. There was a slight moderation in that. And overall, Graham, I think Counter did this really well. For an hour, absolutely for an hour. Okay, slipped kind of a little bit after the goal, so you get subs on, you need to try and get a goal, but I think because they changed that uh, the front two was kind of a bit more flexible. They moderated themselves a little bit in that. And also, so essentially, they, I think their plan was well thought out in terms of within the system. And I think Celtic kind of, the way Ross Cantor set it up, they obviously took a gamble on, we're going to let Celtic's least effective players in possession have possession of the ball where it matters and and I think that for an hour they, I think they did it really well I think Celtic struggled to create to break that, that mar- marking system and where Celtic actually did create it was more it wasn't really when they had to break down the marking it was just, you know it was counters and set pieces and so on so I think Ross Cantor did a really good job Obviously with this it needs to be something you do for the 90 minutes uh, and if one of the, the kind of drawbacks of the, the man-marking system is when someone loses discipline and that really happens for Celtic's first goal where they, they seem to abandon the man-marking system when Hatati breaks into the box and uh, more than one player goes towards him um, and I think the guy who should have been marking Turnbull uh, 
was not there and Turnbull obviously had seconds to control the ball and uh, not make the goalkeeper. Is that is it just a gamble then that you can hold on and be as uh, disciplined as possible for the ninety minutes and so that you can get that result, that that draw or even a win if you get a lucky penalty? Is it just a case of they just didn't have the discipline to do it or they didn't have the mental strength to do it for too long? It is obviously tough to do over 90 minutes. And, and that is, I guess, the whole part of Ange's system and, and mantra, as it was with Brendan Rodgers before that, is that you, you stick to what you know and you trust it and you keep doing it. And a large part of that is physicality and stamina. <laughs> if, if, if you are more intensely opponent, the opponent is going to tire. He even said, I, I think for the goal, it, it is still an individual piece of brilliance. Okay, Celtic gets into the well, to the edge of the penalty area with the ball. But I sent you a couple of screenshots. I mean, it's obviously about all of nine of Ross County's outfield players are still on the D or closer to their own goal, right? They still have a decent amount of control. I, I guess just when they, when you have an individual moment of brilliance like Riyad Tate has, I then probably was expecting if then you get into closer to the goal, closer to the six-yard box, it, it becomes almost difficult to stick with your man at that point. So unless you push on Hatate, he might have a free shot. So you, you have to push it because, you know, if you get to inside the box, you know, it's it's difficult to stick to the marking that rigidly because you you might have to make some decisions. So that individual moment from Hatati forces decisions. And as you say, it's um it's the center midfielder who, who stays on, usually stays on um Turnbull, Latouri, who kind of get pulled towards the, you know, the, the front post and he forgets about David Turnbull. And it's that's you know, maybe he has to do that else Hatate is you know, we can get a shot off from there or we can get closer. But it, for me, it wasn't so much that it, it was Rio Hatate more than anything that made that goal and made that spark. And I think after that, Celtic got into positions and that they managed to, to pull Ross County apart a lot more. I think that's also to do with, you know, as I said, the state of what the game was in. You know, substitutions, Ross County needs a goal and they're getting more and more tired. So, so, so even for that, it's a really good defensive performance by Ross County overall. Uh, personal issues aside, uh, is Malcolm McKay a good manager? No. Why not? <laughs> uh, I, I, no, I think he's... Uh, again, I mean, he's... I, I just don't see if you're a really good manager, you, you have more than just a man marking, if that makes sense. You know, it's. Uh, I, I think they can come to places like this, and if they do the job diligently, like this, and if Celtics build up players and top notch, which it wasn't, we can get back to. Um, then, you know, for a new manager, you, you need something else. You, you, to be a good manager, I think you need something else offensively and so on. And it's, they just don't have anything else other than that. You know, they, they are a team that's very much set up to restrict you and to get something from the you know, set piece and so on. So yeah, he's, he's a competent manager and he's obviously got ex- experience to do can for something from, from other leagues and things like that. But he's, he's, he's run of the mill, you know, and he's maybe he wouldn't be in our Ross County if he wasn't 
you know, involved in the same as he had been. Um, but even so, it's not like he's doing a massively impressive job, I think. Yeah, he's an ex-Scotland manager. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Um, from that Swiss Ramble thing, we're not going to speak about it too much, but just I just noticed that as a percentage, we're kind of closer to the revenue of Real Madrid than um, Ross County would be to us. Um, so it kind of puts into perspective the, the, the kind of massive difference in size. Well, I have, I have certain issues with you two doing that as a percentage, though, to be fair, because I think, you know, um, it's still about 300 million gap between Saudi and Real Madrid. I think it's actually close, closer to 400 million, yeah, to be honest. So, but yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah, so. But yeah, no, the Swiss Ramble team was interesting. And. But I, I think it comes back to. But I mean, it's, your point is good because there is a, that always discussion about should Scottish club be doing better with what the money they have? So, because I think there is a ceiling for Celtic in terms of how well they can spend that. I think they can spend the money better, right? But I think there's also a ceiling to how well you can spend that money because you play in Scotland. Because mm-hmm. if you had the same amount of money in the Netherlands or Belgium or even France, you can obviously attract better players or more better players more easily because of the league you're in. So I think there's there's constrictions around that as well. But yeah, it's still you can still spend that money a lot better. One of the things I did want to talk about the Swiss Ramble was I was kind of uh, surprised at how uh, how our revenue compared to, to Rangers. So they they finished uh, one million less than us. They had eighty seven million, we had eighty eight, and their match day income. Was only one million less, so we made forty-two million match day, and they made forty-one. And I was wondering how that could be when their average attendance is like eleven thousand less than ours. But then I remembered that's because they had much more European ties than us, and I think it just shows you that financial benefit of just going and kind of an extended run and having those home ties in the two, the two legos the fails. The thing with see some of those Swiss ramble threads and the comparison. The one I saw here is that Celtic and Rangers, or even Scotland in general, the percentage of the income that comes from match days are huge, right? So, you know, <laughs> something like Norwich was still making more money than Celtic, but Celtic dwarf Norwich when it comes to match day income and commercials and everything. So, obviously, when your match day income is such a huge part of your overall income, you know, it's quite logically, the more games you have at home, the, the more money you're going to have. You know, so uh, even by just, okay, you get less money from the Europa League, but if you're playing eight, ten games more over a season, you know, if you had, that's, you know, for Celtic Park, you know, five home games, that's 300,000 people, 300,000 tickets you're selling. So it, it always have a big part of it. So, and yeah, the price money as well. So, it, yeah, I mean, the Champions League obviously offset that, but it, it, it is quite incredible how much money it's, it's. It's like football of the old times, financial football of the old times, Graham. Where like your match day is actually so much. Whereas teams in the Premier League could, I mean, they could let in fifty percent of the fans, if not more, for free, and it wouldn't be a huge dent to what they can do with their money. Uh, so yeah, 
I think that's one of the things that <clears throat> that makes VAR different for us. That's the thing I mentioned last time about how the guys in the stadium are just getting mugged off eh, because football in England and other countries is set up for the viewer at home. Whereas football Scotland needs to be set up for the people going to the ground on a weekly basis because that is where the money's coming from. And that we've seen that this week with the introduction of this um, two-hour window of uh, alcohol. What did you make of that? And what do you see as being the kind of route away from, or route, route on from that? I mean, one thing that I was quite surprised at is like, what, what are you supposed to do for the two-hour gap after the pub closes and before the stadium or before the game starts? So you're supposed to just hang about Celtic store or something buying merch <laughs> yeah you'd have to have to something to keep people there um obviously i mean on, on the article it's, it's it goes back to what we talked before in, in terms of all you wanted for football fans to be treated just the same as any other sports spectator in scotland you know it's so simple and so fundamental and it's not done and in there's absolutely no valid reason for it other than, you know, the moral panics around football fans and, and, and everything that comes with that and, and the convenient scapegoat football is in school. So it's, you know, it, it's about high time. And hopefully it's, it's one of first steps to just allow people to, to buy alcohol at football because it's, it's, it's absolutely going to make no difference in terms of, there's no absolutely, you know, is there any more crowd trouble in England because they can buy alcohol there? No, it's it's absolutely not. So it, it, hopefully, I mean, it, you do, as you said a bit, Mark, you do feel in a sense that spectators in the Premier League, and obviously they have a, you know, they are in terms, they have some value in terms of the money they generate. But more than anything, they're an accessory to the TV. They are there to make the product look better, sound better, right? In the Premier League, they are, you know, supporting <laughs> actors in that whole play, in that whole production. Like, since we're in a Christmas tree, basically. The mise en scene. You know, uh, in, in terms people. of, yeah. <laughs> so, and whereas in Scotland, they are a purely, really vital part of keeping any club going. You know, if, if fans didn't go, and, and this is you know, probably why COVID was looked at so differently as well in, in Scotland and how it was approached, because unless you have fans, those clubs will go under. See if Manchester City, United, most clubs in the Premier League, if they're letting all their fans for free for a year, those clubs wouldn't go under. Mm. You know, they, they just wouldn't. You know, this. Um, so, yeah, it's that's it what it is, and it's so again. But it's, it's just another. I mean, I, I don't like VAR in any way, but so just another reason for why there is absolutely no need for VAR in Scotland at all. Yeah, and uh, like I've, my my background in the computer is uh, when I was at. Uh, uh, Padres match at Petco Park in San Diego and I just remember sitting down watching the, the, the game having a few IPAs and it was such a civilised experience and like obviously going to Bayern games quite often you would just sit with a Paul and a big massive pretzel and it's just like this is the way it should, this is the way it should be this is this is what we want big pretzels I mean, people I mean, <laughs> yes I mean uh, 
and it's like no sport is the same. Like I'm, I'm, I've been the same. I mean, with baseball in the US, and it's amazing, right? Especially in the summer because it takes ages, and you can have a beer and then hot dogs, and it's, it's as you say, it's civilized. It's like you've moved in. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Put your feet up, and and you know the, the Bundesliga as well is. Uh, Bundesliga is probably closer because there's, there's still a really good atmosphere in Bundesliga games. You know, you can drink. It's a, it's, it's a day out, and all of those things. It's it's. It's staged around the game. You got, you know, as you said before, you know, the, the travel is subsidized. You can have food outside at the ground. You can have food inside the ground because you're spending a lot of money. Maybe not in the Bundesliga, but here you're spending a lot of money to go and see this game. But when you go to a game, you feel like, oh, it's not. You just get in, get out as soon as possible. And there's, you know, there's no reason to hang around as well. But when you're spending that much money and, and time for it, it's just the potential of, of getting people to spend money at football games must be so much more, but it's just, it's, I guess, you know, we've been there before, but it's kind of like the, the lack of even trying to move towards this. Any okay, you can, you can have a pub at Celtic Park for a couple hours before a game, but okay, but it's not, it's not really, it's a nice first step, but it's not really even close to trying to I create know. some sort of, you know, atmosphere around it and a, and a structure and, and, and a, like an event management around it isn't it? Mm-hmm. So let's get back to the game. You 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 wanted to focus on the centre backs. You were talking about how Ross County were just letting specific players in the, the Celtic team come away with the ball or get possession of the ball. Who who were they allowing to have a lot of time on the ball? So, so this is it's logical, right? Because as I said, if, if you have to leave at least one player open, you know, not man marking, you leave the fullbacks because they're, they're furthest away from the goals and I think you're not facing as big a threat from them. So, and especially with Celtics fullbacks being so inverted, and I think they invert a lot against Ross County in the other game and this game, is that obviously a screenshot I've, I've showed you, it's when the ball is played over to, to CCV on the right-hand side, there are two, four, six, eight Ross County players Specifically, man marking a Celtic player on the left hand side of the pitch. Because Ralston, you know, is, is over on that side. Uh, Hatate and Turnbull is over on that side. So when the ball comes over, I mean, it's, it's like the Red Sea opening up for, for CCB. There's two against two on the, on the right hand side of the pitch. It's, it's the free center back. The Red it's, CCB. It, um, as long as it's blue in America, it's fine. I'm sure he is. And then it's the Ross County left back and the Celtic winger, and and that's two against two. And hold. so you're essentially going, here you go. You know, the attacking midfielder, the, the striker will come over and press a bit, but this these players are left open. And I think in terms of then. I think that is obviously if, if you have this choice in, in in a system, you choose the centre backs. But there's also probably a, a thing around you know Ross County looking at Celtic centre back and saying none of them are the type of centre back that's going to specifically hurt you, right? If you do this, say Christopher Ayer was still there with his speed and his ability to dribble and his willingness to go into those spaces and. To do that, he would. Could you imagine leaving that amount of space open for him? You know, it, that would be a different proposition. So I think it's more tactically for, for us kind of do it. And, and this isn't 
a criticism per se of the Celtic centre backs. They are the type of players they are. You know, they are competent on the ball most of them most of the time in the right circumstances, but none of them are any sort of threat in possession. What they yeah. are, they are more often not. They're safe. But I think that's the word. They're safe, but they're not a threat. Did you notice anything different about how we played or anything just anything at all tactically from when we switched from having Jens in this game at the back to having Starfelt? Was there anything that you noticed different? No, not really. I, I think the same thing. So I, I, I've sent you both the pass maps and they were like very similar. You know, I mean, all the centre-backs pass maps are, I mean, how many of those passes are either 45 degree to one side or slightly, what's that, 90 degrees, <laughs> even 75 degrees um, out to the wings? You know, there's the same pattern of passes the whole time. And I think that's not just the centre-backs fault, but because of this man-marking system, it's you have to essentially to put it really simply if you're playing against this man marking system if you try to find a man it's going to be difficult right to find a man in space because there's always a marking close to him and if you are sent the back who's not really comfortable trying to dribble past somebody or try an intricate pass or anything like that unless you've got the space for it you're going to end up going sideways you're going to end up going out to the wing uh, and so on, and you, you see that from the pass maps. So, by it, it's almost by giving the centre backs lots of space, was kind of just kind of just going. Well, let's see what you got, and what you got here, you know. Um, and and it's and, you know to try pick a man, and more often not, they don't try to, or they not feel comfortable doing it. So they end up being very safe. Like Jens, hundred percent pass completion. When he's on the page, 41 out of 41 passes. Starfall comes on and he makes 59 out of 63 passes, 94%. And CCV makes 83 out of 88 passes, 94%. So be- between the three of them, they have 186 passes and they only miss nine. It's 95% pass completion rate. So that tells you that either there just weren't, there weren't any options for them to pass or they weren't comfortable to try those passes in those situations. I think it's a combination of that. But I think by putting, by Ross Cantu putting Celtic centre-backs in here and say, hey, go have the ball, have some space, try and pick a man. It's it's not the worst idea in the world, right? If, you, if you're going to face Celtic. And we'll come back to how it ends up. And you know, obviously, if Celtic keeps probing and they keep moving and they, they try to get some space and eventually you're going to get some space because often you have really a really brilliant player that's going to do something brilliant, but it works, right? It, 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 overall, it, it works um, for Russ Cantus. I think that's why they do it. And I think it's that part of it because Celtic centre-backs are safe and competent on the ball, but they're, they're in no way a threat on the ball to the opposition team. It's something when, when it comes to centre-backs, I'm just, I was looking at the, the Daily Record website earlier and they seem to have daily an article mocking Calvin Bassey. And uh, the latest one being that an IX legend has said he's like Bambi and Ice. Uh, is, there, is there something inherent to playing at Celtic and Rangers in the Scottish League that gives defenders bad habits? 
or maybe makes us think better of them than they would be in any other league because they're maybe not ex- getting to do the... Or maybe just looking at something like Calvin Baston because he can pass the ball a little bit and be athletic. We maybe overrate players. Is there, is there something about the Scottish League uh, for centre-backs that way? This is thinking about Christopher Ayer. Christopher Ayer isn't bad habits. Like it, 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 yeah, I think that's essentially what he he said, he tried to say when he left as well in terms that it wasn't that he needed to leave because he was just exceptionally good and better than everybody else. It's because he didn't have that constant challenging. He wasn't. He didn't need to be switched on a hundred percent all the time. One because of the you know the average quality of the players he's faced, but also because his team was so dominant. So when you when you place him in the Premier League, and you place him against some of the best wingers and strikers in the world with the movement of the best team, the mental capacity that takes to be focused and concentrated. And to be able to execute all your actual technical physical things correctly is so much more intense than if you're sent to back at Celtic. And it's not, you know, this is, you know, that's just, just a fact, you know, to do that. And so it, it's being a sent to back at Celtic, you probably get away with a lot of things. And it's not because you're, you, you, you're awfully cocky or you, you know, you, you think you're too good for the league is because if if you're not challenged at that level every game all the time, it, it it's, you're not going to get any better at it. If, if that makes sense, you know. You, you, so, uh, and the other thing with Celtic centre backs, it's you know you you're passing. You know, in terms of the situation you need to pass in, like you're not under that much pressure uh, at the back. You, you know, you, you've got great attackers in comparable to, to the rest of the league in, in there to, to have them as well. So uh, it, it's it's not an easy job to be a centre-back Celtic in terms of getting that constant chance, especially defensively. And you see that. You see that when you go into into European games as well because it's such a different game for the centre-backs. And it is a different, tra- difficult transition for them. So, 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 yeah, I think it's not easy being a centre-back as a Celtic and Rangers when you're not attacked against and you're not kept on your toes and you can try to keep on your toes as much as you want but if you know you have a little bit of flexibility and you can tie and cancel risks and you can maybe going to run them up and you, you know, what are they going to do because to play for Livingston you know it, if you face something like completely different the Premier League or Serie A or something or even a lot more competitive league you're going to be challenged more and more regularly so I think that's just natural I know you're not his biggest fan, uh, and, I, yeah. and I don't think he's anywhere near as good as I are, but do you think CCB could end up going down to the Premier League and have a career down there? Obviously not a team like Brentford who are maybe quite forward-thinking with their approach, but now a Brentford-sized team, do you think he could be a starter for an EPL team? It depends on the team, yeah. I, uh, so uh, I, I think he's, he's... I mean, CCB's main issue, I think, is his technique on the ball. Like his, his actual ball technique under pressure. And he, okay, I think he can be a little bit too aggressive sometimes, a bit rash, but th- you'll find a team that that fits well. You know, you, you have, I think you can put CCB into, like you can go back to Bournemouth now. And I think he, he did do quite well at Bournemouth, you know? So I, I think he's a certain type of defender, but he's, CCB is not going to get, 
I think his technique is too limited to be, say, a top eight, top 10 in the Premier League kind of defender, you know, but mm-hmm. he is, and that's not because, you know, it, it's not saying he's, he's, you know, he's got some nice passes for Celtic as well, but it's a completely different environment he makes those passes in and he has to make them under the pressures under. So, um, if Shane Duffy can have a career down there, then, well, it's, it's a good point, right? <laughs> so it's a certain, certain type of team. You, you can do that. Um, and if your team is structured around you as well, but, um, so, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's easy. He's a good center back, right? And I, I think he, there's, there's a lot of teams in the, the Premier League. He, he can do well for, but it's, there needs to be a specific type of team for him. It'll be interesting as well because we don't really talk about CCV being one that could go, but when you think about him being a, having the status, the home home player status, which is another thing that maybe would be attractive to teams down there. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think that the amount of money Celtic paid for CCV, I don't know. I can't really see a club spending a lot more money than that on CCV unless he has an exceptional development, mm. right? You, you can see a club coming in front and paying eight, nine, ten million. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. But I, I think also, <laughs> imagine if you went out to, to some other countries in Europe and said, "Here's eight, nine million for for a centre back." Like you, you get some, I think, more complete centre halves than than CCV. Yes, you know, with that kind of money and then buying other markets. So would you buy a centre back from, from the Scottish league for eight, nine, 10 million that can do some of the things that, you know, Ayer can do, Van Dyke could do, and that they have, um, potential a capability to also do the other stuff, you know, mm-hmm. not just defensively. I, I doubt that. I'd be nice. It'd be nice for Celtic. It'd be great for CCV, but I doubt you, you're going to see that. I think a lot of fans would just be happy to have him for yeah. the, the time that's here and, and, and not care about making too much of a profit. You know, and, and looks that's that's the point. It's like I mean, probably probably have a transfer committee. We can talk in that in detail, but that is the point, right? So, if it's right for you to spend seven, eight million on, on centre back and that's an investment over a few years and okay, you're not gonna get that money back, but that's that's fine. I think you should have a definitely a a, a good portion of your transfers should be like that. Yeah, this is somebody that's coming now, he's gonna do it go for four or five years, maybe not get any profit on the end of it, but that's fine. You, you make that investment into your team so you can win things and <laughs> you can you can develop a team where Make maybe all the players go. Yeah, exactly. That's what football is about after all. So two players that you, you've highlighted as being good at getting away from the, the Ross County man marking are first the main one is, is Burnaby and you've also kind of highlighted Matt O'Reilly being, being pretty good at it as well. So what was it that... Sorry, yeah. you go. No, I think the O'Reilly one is, is also because he's clever but it, I think it's had a lot to do with that this time that attacking midfielder Tilson didn't stay on him all the time. And it was, there was obviously a, a plan there to kind of leave him for the striker white sometimes. And I think that's, I've kind of called this, this a couple of small chinks in the man marking armory um, for that. And one of them was that trade off between Tilson and, and white, which I think overall worked pretty well, right? 
so I, I think the both of them did that okay well but and this is when you come in if you step away from that rigid man marking and you start handing a player over to them it becomes a bit more difficult and it becomes a little bit more, especially if everybody else is man marking because there was a couple of occasions where Tilson was trying to hand O'Reilly over to to White and he pointed at O'Reilly and then he goes to press and White being let's be honest a little bit of a big lump of a Scottish Premiership striker. It's it's not, you know, it's, it's not going to be able to do that. So there was times when Matt O'Reilly actually had space. You know, I've showed you some, you know, in good positions. And I think but some of the issues were that the centre-back specifically just didn't hit him. You know, he, so he got away from his man. He was had a big space for a few seconds in the middle of the pitch. But there were fleeting moments and they weren't taken mostly of all. So it, it, that's why you kind of come to that cross section. But Ross Cantor does a good defensive job, but it makes some choices that will allow Celtics the space. Celtic have to exploit that, even though it's difficult, and they didn't with Matt O'Reilly. But yes, but they're never going to have the perfect. They're never going to have the perfect system as Ross County team is always having to update players because they're losing players season to season. You know exactly, but because that wasn't exploited by, especially the centre backs. You know they ended up kind of getting away with it. The other thing I think they, other thing was struggling. Like the big crack in this smart marking was done by Alexander Bernabe, who's who I think had his best game for Celtic, at least system wise. In this, because one, one thing I wanted just before you go, I wanted to ask you about that. So you've got a graphic here that shows basically Rousen received all of his passes. From his left hand side, so meant that 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 basically suggests that he was far out on the right hand side because he couldn't get past to from off the pitch. And whereas Bernabe basically has a fantastic mix of getting the passes left, right, centre, wherever. Well, it, yeah. Although where they receive the passes, it's like roughly the same, right? A lot of them in the half spaces, a few at wide. But the as interesting thing I thought between Ralston and Bernabe and it was. Tony Rasson was was good, right? He might not know this, but I'm, uh, I, I take the opportunity to criticize Tony Rasson sometimes. But he he went inwards a lot, which he was told to, and I think he had a, had a really important defensive, um, you know, a light um, counter from Ross County where he ran up the Ross County play, which which was impressive, right? So, I mean, he still has some hairy moments on the ball, but he's Tony Ralston. He's, you know, he's, he's less competent than the centre-backs <laughs> technique-wise, but I, Ralston, I thought, was good. You know, I, I, you know, I don't have any massive notes on him, but I thought Burnaby was exceptional, and I thought the difference between the two in, in where they received the ball from, because I mean, you tell me, like, if you look at the passes that Tony Ralston received, they're all almost coming in a 45 degree angle from the left, right? They're all coming from the mm-hmm. left hand side. Obviously, okay, some of them are slightly behind, some of them he, but it's like a, a sea of tadpoles swimming one way, right? Towards the egg. Yeah, it's Tony Ralston. Whereas <laughs> if you look at where Alexander Bernabe, Alexandro Bernabe, sorry, uh, receives the ball for, it's it's completely different, right? He, he receives some from the right, which you expect from left back, but he receives them from straight behind himself. He receives them from his right hand side. He receives them from you know above him. 
And if you go and watch like the game back, you see you can see why because of how he made the runs, how he kind of he runs towards the golden turns. He almost runs backwards a lot, and it's just the spaces and the areas he would manage to get to. I think he was just more available for a pass because he, he receives them like almost in a wheel like fashion. You know, so he's making space for himself basically. Yeah, and it's it's not it, Tony Wilson is receiving the ball from his left. Alexandra Bernbay is receiving the ball from his left, from his right, from his behind him, in front of him, everywhere. And I think that's testament to how good he was and how torrid a time Jan Danda had, you know, the, the Ross County right, uh, right winger and trying to follow him. Because if it's one guy who could not follow his man, it was Jan Danda. And I, fair play to all that, following Alexandra Bernabe around the pitch, I, I wouldn't be able to do it for 90 seconds, let alone. 90 minutes. Um, Are you excited by his ceiling? Yes, I think there's a lot of chiseling to be done mm-hmm. to get to the, to the get to the diamond and I think it needs a haircut. Yeah. Um <laughs> I I'm not, I'm not one to to speak. Um but yeah, I, I think he's been hot I guess he's, he's been very hot and cold, right? And he's he's where he's really st- Stood out so far has been in the more traditional fullback kind of stuff. Like he's fast, he can beat a man. He is not even close to being as good as passer of the ball as Greg Taylor. But what he does, the way he progressed the balls is through his own running and is is moving with the ball as well. You know, so he he, he can't thread the passes that uh, Greg Taylor can. Yeah, I don't think he has got the vision that Greg Taylor has yet. But he's absolutely rapid and he's starting to find the movement within that. And I think this kind of man marking system kind of suited him really well because he's so fast and because he's like, it has the acceleration and he's, but he's not just running down the wings. He, he was, he was clever in where he positioned himself to receive a ball. I think the issue was, as we come back to, and it's not to be super negative on the center backs because I've shown you a few screenshots where I've shown you where Alexander Bernabe has got some space. He's got free. It's often between the lines, right? It's between the, the Ross County midfield line and the defensive line, even though line is, is is really vague here because the line is wherever the Celtic players are standing, but he's, he's in front of the defense roughly and behind the midfield. And he's managed to get away from Jan Danda, not for long, a few seconds, but in the good spaces and good areas. And none of the passes that is usually Jens has to make them this couple of Starfield as well. They're not easy passes, and but they're also not. I mean, you can make if you're competent, if you're really competent, if you're a good centre back on the ball, and if you have the kind of ambition and bravery to try these passes a lot, you can find Burnaby. Or what you can do in most of these cases is that. You can use a bounce pass off, for example, David Turnbull. If the ball goes faster, if, if, if you move the ball faster, you can see Matt O'Reilly was doing this a lot. See, when Jensen CBB was taking the ball out, he was just like gesturing, like get going. And a lot of it's not, it's not running up with the ball, quick short passes. And, and that's difficult with a man marking system because you need to find a man. But Alexander Burnway consistently got into those areas and he made space and felt and got away from his marker. And he wasn't really rewarded as much as he should have been. With the passes, it is one pass in the first half when Danda lets Bernabas slips again and he's got a huge space in, right in the middle of 
cross country's pitch about 30, 35 yards out. And he, he, you see his, his body movement. And this comes back to the angle he received ball from. You see in all these ones, he's got his back to the goal and he's facing the center back and he's making it obvious to them. And he finally gets slipped in for, for this one as well. It actually ends up being a good Celtic chance. So I just thought Bernabe's movement and was really good because he, he seeked the, the, the good space, like the right spaces. He showed for the ball. He was constantly moving. He's so fast. And then also uh, just a sense of, I think that man marking actually suited him quite well because if he got away from his man, that was him free. Maybe in another type of system where it's, it's more sonally, if he goes into the middle, eh, you know, it's, it's a guy around him quickly because the sonal suit, but I, that suited him perfectly. I thought, I thought he was great. When I don't know if you follow him on Instagram, but the, the content over the last few days has been so wholesome. I, th- I think he's got every single member of his family over from Argentina. Uh, and they're all wearing like Celtic gear. They've all raided the club store. I think they've all got big Celtic jackets on and everything. Is that what happens when your mom comes over? In the oh, I. We'll, we'll go to the FC Nuremberg <laughs> club store and uh, <laughs> not because not What do you what do you make of uh, Haksibanovic? Because he feels very much to me like an unusual winger. Um, he's not like any of the other wingers that we have, but I like him. <laughs> and See, like, yeah. The well, one I, thing for me, the the biggest thing at, at this stage in my life is that for 10 years or so, I've had the Victor Onyama uh, tune in my head, and now I've got the Haksibanovic one, so he's replaced Victor, and right. uh, I, I, I sing it to myself 24 hours a day. Haksibanovic, I think he's, if there's any winger he's, he's more like, he's, he's, he's a Yota type winger for me, right? Because he is somebody who would you know, get the ball, you know, size his opponent up, go inwards a lot like John as well. He he can dribble. He's maybe not as fast, but he's still fast. And he, he likes to come in and, and takes a shot. And, you know, they're both right foot the wing is on, on, on the left-hand side. So that's probably who's more I like for me. I, I think he's... <laughs> I, I really like what I've seen him in, in the eighth because I think he's so direct and he's got the kind of intensity of playing that. So you kind of... It's not that he plays as a 10, but he, he brings a lot more, I guess, offensively or in, in more directness than if you put David Turnbull and Aaron Moy in there, right? So, but I think it's obviously, I think I think it's obviously he's very, it could be affected that wide as well. So I, I think that's a nice, again, combination of skills to have. So yeah, I, I think he's... I, I, to be honest, I, I wasn't quite sure at first because I think a couple of his first starts were a bit... Mm, but I saw in an eight, I really liked him. I think he's, he's really got into like a rhythm out there as well. So I, I, no, I mean, I think that's that's a clever buy. It's, it's a good buy. And again, he's... Yeah, I think, you know, they talked about on the agenda today as well in terms of the type of character he is as well. But tactically, he, he fits well, like, because he can play in two positions, but the things he can do um, out wide and centrally, it's, it fits well. I think he's, it's, it's like Jota, you can kind of think he's, you know, maybe he can release the ball in, in some situations sooner. He, he likes to bring it inwards like Jota does as well. He can sometimes get a little bit stuck. But yeah, you know, his technique, his delivery is, is good. So yeah, no, I like him. I like him. And, and I know you don't like uh, goals or, no. or, or joy. No. Um, but what did you make of his, his finish? 
Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's really good. <laughs> it's not a great piece of analysis, is it? That was, it's, mm, it's, 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 it's a lovely, I, I love it because it's just those kind of shots where, where you, in a way, we call it East, East Stega, which means like in step. You know, you, you take a shot as part of just moving, it's just part mm. of running. And it's, it's that, I think that's what surprises the keeper as well. So it's just that, um, it's a, it's a touch of class, right? But it's just, that's what really good individual players have really good individual moments. Mm. And a part of the system, and it's like the analysis we do is like, how, how do you put them in those positions? And that's a nice segue because to continue on my, uh, Alexander Bernabe, um, Tour de Force, a tour of victory, tour, I don't know. What happens in front of Hispanic goals as well? If you have a look at uh, Bernabé in the, about 10 seconds before the goal, twice he brings Yandanda, you know, around. It, it, it basically takes him for a run around mm-hmm. the penalty box. And the second time he brings Yanda out away from the space where Hexabana is sensible into Ria Hatati. So again, you know, I think Burnaby has is influential in that goal as well, just by his constant movement and and Yandana trying trying to follow him. So and that's what you want. You need to put really good individual players with really good individual skills in those positions because they're going to do something brilliant, which is what Hexabana was doing. Speaking of something brilliant, uh, I'll give you a few minutes to to talk on Rio Tate. What do you what do you want to say about Rio? <laughs> Yeah, kind of. What are you going to say? I, I think everything he did in that game is. You may watch him back. I, I think it's, when you watch Rio Tata back and just watch him, it's just. It's just all the superlatives you just. You could try and bring up, but he's so. As I said before, I don't think there's a system he can't play in. I think he's a complete midfielder in, in, in what he does. And it's not just. The physical, his technique, yeah, his physicality, his strength, yeah, his stamina, how much he can run, yeah, the vision he has in terms of passes, but also the bravery to try them. And it, it's sometimes it does come off, but it's almost like a mindset, right? And he keeps running and doesn't stop him. But he's just so clever. I like the, the spaces he moves into, the, the, you know, where he moves, when he moves. You know, I put a really, really little small detail from this is, you know, I've probably talked about this. I'm, I'm sometimes worried about Celtics rest defense, right? And what happens when they attack and they don't think about the structure defensively. And a couple of times, especially when, when Matt O'Reilly is in the six, he likes or he, maybe he thinks he feels he needs to make a run into the half space on the left-hand side. So beyond the defense as a number six. And for me, okay, you, you make an overload, but unless some of your other midfielders or fullbacks are aware of that, if you lose the ball there, Matt O'Reilly's down at the corner flag, mm. you know, it's going to be difficult. But there's one, I can't actually remember the minute, I should have noted that down, but in in the first half, when Matt O'Reilly makes that run, Rio Tati is kind of on the edge of the D, and he's about to move in as well, but he sees Matt O'Reilly. You can clearly see him stopping up because he sees Matt O'Reilly running out. And he just takes three, four steps back. He still has got his eye on the play, what's mm-hmm. happening. So if the ball comes in, he can do it. But as you can see, he's moved just three, four steps back. So if Ross Cantor wins the ball, 
he can step right back and he's, he's kind of covered for Matt O'Reilly, you know, and I don't think there's any other Celtics midfielders who in that situation and where they're placed would have Cal McGregor. It's probably mm-hmm. one, but who, who would have that awareness to just step back. And it's just a little thing, but he just, and all this, all the stuff he does on the ball is just brilliant. And it's mm-hmm. just, you know, we talked about, you know, in the agenda today, they talked about, players who kind of surprised you and is the best value for money in terms of actually signing. And it, 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 real time is always the best sign value for money, but it hasn't surprised me because even when we did the scouting report of it, <laughs> Aaron Connolly basically said to Gal, Gal, you know, this, this is the point where you cut up because I'm not going to tell you how good Rio Tati is going to be. And I'm going to tell you that Rio Tati is going to be transformational for hmm. the Celtic team. And annoyingly, Aaron Connolly was right again because he's been utterly brilliant. And I, you know, I, I I thought he wasn't as bad. He didn't at the end of last season. I thought he even, you know, they had a narrative about him being tired. And he obviously wasn't at his best, but I thought still even then he was influencing games. And he was, I think, it was a lot better for people who was giving him credit for. I think he's just been so essential. You know, you'd have to put up something special to be ahead of Greg Taylor. And the player of the year uh, mm. sticks, but I think it's, it's, it's undoubtedly Real Tati so far. And uh, now Aaron Con- Conley is a suit for a blazer for the he's, he's actually a lower league manager. So it's just so, yeah, yep. yeah it's, it's a suit as well. So we'll move on from the game, unless there's anything you want to talk about before. Listen, we... You know, I've got about four pages notes left. I haven't even got to, I, I want, I want, I don't really have much time. I'm going to talk about the stats, right? So right, we talked about what was Countess man marking achieved, right? So uh, before the game on the opposition review said that County has was 11th, 12th, and 12th in the league in terms of allowing entries into their own half, final third in the box. And they were 12th in allowing shots against. But, but that f- means they're the best? No. So no, they lost. Yeah. You're dealing with professionals here, right? <laughs> so so if you're 12th, that means you're letting in the most. Uh, anyway. uh, but they had the fourth lowest average chance quality against, right? So conceding a lot of shots, but not big chances. And you look at what happened in this game. As we talked about, Ross County let Celtic into their half. Entries into the half. Okay, this is Celtic's sixth highest league game in terms of how many times they got into their position's half in control of the ball. It was their highest amount of getting into the final third, 68 by four times, and the highest amount, highest number of times Celtic got into the box in control of the ball in the league this season by 30. And again, four higher than the next one. So the interesting thing is, so you look at, okay, how many times to go into the opposition half and how many times to go into the final third? 90% of times to go into the half to go into the final third, right? That's the second highest, um, the second highest this is 85%, the average is 78%. So all those kind of stats shows that Ross County, the Ross County lets you get into the area because Celtic had not got into the final third all the penalty books, more times to control the ball to system than against Ross County. It's a direct consequence of their system, right? They let the centre-backs come in. Here you go. Walk on in. You make yourself comfortable. But So Celtic's pass rate is what we're talking about. 90% pass rate, Celtic. They have three games to season and 90% pass rate. St. Mary in the way, Don't United at home, and Ross County at home. 
and all of them they have struggled because of especially I think if you have too high a higher pass rate, you're too safe because of the system. But the main thing is here is how much was Kante actually restrict the Celtics shot creation. In the first half, Celtic create two shots from positional play, as in that said. So not counters and not set pieces, just building the ball, building, you know, building attack from the back. Those two shots were Kyogo's header from Hexabanish Cross and CCV's long shot. And honestly, there's in the first 15 minutes of the second half, okay, there's three more shots from positional play, but it's CCV and Burnaby from far out and it's David Turnbull from outside the box. So everything Ross Kant has been doing well this season, they did as well. They let Celtic into the box. Celtic struggled to create from open play. And some of the shot decisions, you know, I was showing you the shot map here as well. You know, what did CCV do with all the space he was allowed to do? He went and took three shots for a combined XG value of 0.03. I mean, it, I, I, I praise Bernabeu, but he had two shots a combined value of 0.03 XG as well. Um, he, Turnbull had a shot, about had a shot, O'Reilly had a couple of shots, you know, from that distance. Um, essentially, Celtic has nine shots from outside the box from open play. Total XG of 0.19. Ross Cantor did their job and Celtic fell into that trap of taking shots from long distance, from very low, low probability like areas. And I know CCV did this against Ross Cantor last season. You know, had a shot from far, took a deflection, goes in. But him taking three shots from those decision, positions, Burnaby taking two shots from the far out, it's ridiculous. I mean, that that's... So you, you come back to the side, Ross County, here you go, Cameron Carter-Vickers, you go into our uh, penalty area. You, you, you have free access pretty much to 25 yards. What are you going to do? Are you going to take a shot? <laughs> yeah, on you go, mate. <laughs> there you go. So, again, Ross Cantor's tactics work, and I think Celtic just didn't really have a different discipline in terms of just recyclable. And I think so, they got a little bit, you know, antsy about it. Is there anything to be said for then playing David Turnbull at the centre-back and letting yes. him go forward and get the shots off? That's a great idea, because he always scores his long shots. When's yeah. the last time he scored a long shot? That's that's assorted. Thank you. So yeah, that's all. I just had to get that. I had to get some stats out. So it's like it's like Bob Dylan. Like the the songs came through him. He was just a vessel for it. You're just a vessel for stats. Well, it's it's just tactics. It's two completely different things. Stats, statics. Okay, let's let's move on. So I want to talk about Ben Doak. Yes. Is Paul uh, Collin coming on? At this point? <laughs> so Ben Doak has just signed uh, his professional contract with Liverpool and he has been getting game time for Liverpool. And I want to talk about him in context to our own youth players. Uh, we spoke about this over the, the chat and how we... I don't know, it's like Ben Doak getting into the, the Liverpool squad, getting game time, and I look at my other team, Bayern, and um, Matthias Tell is a 17-year-old signed from uh, Rennes, and he's getting game time. He gets put on, uh, where Bayern are playing Bremen, uh, 4-1 up at home, he gets put on. Uh, they win 6-1, and he, get, he gets a goal. So, obviously we don't know how the game's going to go against Ross County, but there's a chance we could have been 4-0 up or something, uh, going into the second half. And we just don't have anyone on the bench like that. We don't have a Ben Doak. We don't have the, I mean, the one that the, the last great hope for this current 
uh, youth team is uh, Rocco Vata. And although we're going to be taking him to Australia, or already have taken him to Australia, it feels like a wasted opportunity not having these guys on the bench. Why do you think Ange isn't doing it? And what, what I mean, what do you think is the kind of way forward for us? If if these youngsters can see that they're not even making benches, then what is the point in them sticking around at Celtic? Yeah, so so many layers to this. But if you start at the end in terms of why isn't Ange doing it, because it's not Ange's job, right? So <laughs> Ange's job is to get Celtic to win their next game. And then, and, and, and that's it. Right. So this is I'm repeating myself again and again. This is what happens when you don't have a clear philosophy and you put the manager in to, in charge of everything in terms of that. Well, and does that, does so, that mean that someone's coming above Klopp's head to tell him to get Ben Doak on the bench? I mean, it, it's, it's part of the culture though, isn't it? You know, it, it is. Uh, I think it's the, the mindset of that in, in Bayern Munich as well. And it's it, so. And Ange Postecoglou would probably say, "Okay, if I can give those minutes, but I need to keep the squad ticking, right?" So it, once it gets to the point of Ange Postecoglou choosing a squad, it's kind of too late. Like there's so many things that needs to happen before that. And it's it, as we said before, there needs to be certain clear guidelines from a top when they hire a manager saying you're going to have X amount of squad, but we need, you know, we need to bring young players. They need to be getting a chance. And it's, it, the funny thing, this was every single, if you take every single individual case of these players, I'm sure you can make a case for why they're not doing it. And probably as a sensible case. Why isn't it is, take Ben Doak? Why did Ben Doak leave? Okay, maybe there's exceptional circumstances around that. Maybe he was just that good. Maybe he would just want to go to Liverpool. So you take all these individual cases out and you go, oh, I can build a solid case for why Ben Doak actually wasn't on the bench. And But that doesn't mean something fell down at Celtic, because even though he's at Liverpool. But it's, but it's still, Ben Doak is just one of many red flags for me in terms of that situation. Because there's absolutely no way uh, a 16 year old who gets put on get on put on the League Cup for Liverpool is not good enough to make an impact for Celtic six months earlier, even how much development it's had. So it's, but you kind of go backwards and backwards. It's once it's the academy, how good are they to bring players through and the whole structure? It is what kind of pathway do, do you give to those players because you know Bendok's not the first one to leave we know that we talked about it all the time so you just and, and it's not one thing there's not one conversation with one player from Ash Postecoglou that's going to do that and the fact that uh, you know Ash Postecoglou felt he had to bring in Aaron Moy this summer is probably something to say he, I don't have anybody who can do that role in the academy but it's also saying Allowing a manager to bring in a 31 year old Aaron Moy, James McCarthy. But again, it's not really about individual players, but they're allowed to bring in a 32 year old centre mid that's not going to be a first class, you know, part of the squad. And in some cases, that's fine. And as I said, it, it, you can make a sensible case for all these things individually, but as a whole, it's just littered with, with red flags. And it's obviously it's not something that's working with everything Celtic, the position they have, and everything. 
they should be putting 17, 18 year olds into it all the time, all the time. And it is coming to a point now where you go, okay, if you can't keep the really good talents that your club is producing, where, where, where are they going to come from? You know, where it was, you need to keep the cycle going in terms of, you know, profit and anyway. So no, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's a, a system and a structure that is not in a good place at the moment. See, one thing that, that jumps out at me is the idea that, okay, so at one point, someone said to Ange, Ben Doak is going to be going to Liverpool. Well, the Liverpool was nothing about Ben Doak. We need to try and give him game time to try and make him feel as if he can develop here. And that's when Ben Doak came into the squad. Played. Yeah. He came on against Rangers, I think, did they not? Yeah, right? he did. Yeah. And they came on in a game where we were chasing it. Was it Dundee United? Uh, and so that that has obviously happened at one point. Why is it... So taking that into consideration, why is no one saying, this is going to happen again? If we don't like take action, so no. Who, who had the conversation the first time, and why are they not having the conversation this time? We just kind of come back to the same thing we always talk about because there's no one person at the club who drives that and sets that standard and says, you know, it's not just someone obviously who, did at one point. Well, that's so scattergun though. It's like, oh yeah. shit, oh oh, it's it's like you know, running around trying to put plasters and everything. It's like, oh oh, Ben Dog, somebody's sniffing around Ben Dog. Maybe you should give him some minutes, actually. You know, that's that's not how you run a club. Like that that needs to be a guiding principle before you even hire like not even just hire the manager. Just, that needs to be a clear vision from the club. But you can't just play pay platitudes to, you know, pay lip service to. You need to actually develop in specific goals and how many you're gonna to bring to. And it should directly impact your the way you do recruitment and transfers as well. That you, you can't just go and buy squad players in one sense, right? You need to be able to develop them and you need to show them a pathway and they need to be put into the first team, not just a necessity. So you give those minutes to younger players instead of just essentially squad fill, right? But I, I don't blame Ange Postacoglia at all because if, if you're the manager, you're going to be held responsible for the results. And if you're given free reign, you can also be given all the blame if you don't get results. Mm-hmm. So you you fill your squad and you fill your bench with, you know, if, if you have experienced players or you can bring someone in, you do that, don't you? Yeah. Like, I mean, in terms of, you might just, you know, look, look at the league, the goalkeeping situation. And it, maybe Toby Lavaomi is, is not good enough, maybe. But you know this. <laughs> why are you buying in a 31 replacements goalkeeper? Like that's 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 crazy in one way. I mean, it, on one side, it's completely logical because you kind of make your backup goalkeeper a bit better. On the other side of it, it's it's, it's mad. Like I, if, 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 if you have somebody who's highly, if you have a goalkeeper that's highly rated, bring him in and give him a lead captain. Like, I would, that's, be, I would be fine with making the second goalkeeper better if he replaced the second goalkeeper, but he didn't. He just moved the second goalkeeper down to the third goalkeeper, so we get three over thirty year old. Yeah, and, 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 and the rumor has it that, that Olivier Melmi wanted had a loan lineup. He wanted to go up, but he's not even allowed to go because <laughs> even then they want him around the squad. And it's like, it's, and, and see if it's up to the manager. The manager will do what he thinks is the best for the team week on week, team short term. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't doubt actually Postacoglu when he talks about, oh, we're looking at recruitment to retrieve Windows down. I think that's a sensible way for him to work as well within the club. But there's his job on the line. If, if they go out in the League Cup, for example, it's, not, it's probably not. Someone going to get fired for getting put out of the League Cup. You know I mean, mm-hmm. it, uh, unless there's it's, it's a clear philosophy within the club that, okay, this, this needs to be used a lot more for that. And if you go out of the League Cup one, yeah, okay, so better. And if, you know, uh, so, but imagine opportunities you have to give minutes to young players for Celtic. Like the amounts of time you two train up at the end of the game with five substitutions. Yeah. And the limited minutes, but maybe something we should actually dig into the minutes on how many minutes it's been given to young players this year. It's crazy. That, is, is that not just, if you look at it, if you strip everything away from it, is that not just crazy mm-hmm. that you not have, with all the opportunities you have, just to put 10, 15 minutes to a player? You have that many people on the bench, you have five substitutions. That's the thing, especially in the era of the five subs, is absolutely no excuse for it. So, but again, not blaming Ash for that. He's he's working in the parameters he's got, but it's it's to not have a Rockavata or somebody else on the bench. See if you two three two three nil up, it's ten minutes, it's fifteen minutes, and if he goes and goes a goal, hey, suddenly, you know, you can build on that. It's, I don't know. It's uh, it, it's not burying your head in the sand around that. In terms of that, is a situation of Celtic that's not in the best shape at all. It's really frustrating because like youth development is one of my favourite things about football. I like I like a young player coming into the team and getting like Cal McGregor, James Solaris and stuff. You, you want to see it. I mean the, the the relationship Celtic fans had with KT because he was one of our own, you know, like it's And the frustrating thing though is that even when you think it seems like the club is, is trying to do something like with the B team, you know, in the low one. That's you can kind of see, you can see club always taking a step here, but you go, you can't put 18, 19 year olds in the fifth tier of the Scottish League. Like that's, so you're not going to do anything else with that, right? The second tier, maybe. But see, you've had Celtic players breaking two, true at 18, 19, 20, like good enough to do that. You should have your 15, 16 year olds maybe in the fifth tier, but unless you can get that second team up in the divisions, at least to the third tier. Like this, that's not a place to put your 18, 19 year olds. Right. And mm-hmm. it, I, I don't see the developments you're going to get from that. And it's it, because, at least with Ben Doak, okay, where's he playing? But he's, he's training with world class players every day. And that's, you know, he's, he's in that environment. And that's different than training with the Celtics. But there's still, I, you know, there's still a huge gap difference. And you can, there's obviously something in the youth system and sets ups in other countries that even the size of Scotland that, that produced this better. And it's people with far more knowledge, a lot more clever than me can, can kind of say what that is. But it's, yeah, it's a hugely frustrating era with Celtic because it should be so much better. It really should. I wonder if we can get an interview lined up for the World Cup with somewhere, someone that maybe has a bit of knowledge in the youth set up. Okay. I'll, I'll let you work on that. Cheers, thanks. So, Sean Maloney has been in the papers this week. He has been talking about the moment that he knew his Hibs career was going off the rails, and that was when Kevin Nisbet got injured. And he's been speaking about how he's uh, taken a wee bit of time out from the game, but has been touring around uh, clubs. He's been uh, a guest at Monaco. 
been a guest at Barcelona and he's been a guest at Girona, watching the way they're set up, the coaching technique and all that kind of stuff. What do you think? Do you think that there should be a place for someone like Sean Malone at Celtic at the moment? Do you think this? Do you think I always I always like the idea of like there being a kind of conveyor belt of managers. I think I got that from the, the kind of like Barcelona with Guardiola and stuff like that. And obviously, it's not actually worked out well. But do you think there should be a place for someone to say to Sean Malone, like, come on, first team coach, and then learn from Ange and see where we go after that? Or do you think he, now that he's had a kind of top team job, he was assistant at Belgium, that's maybe too small for him? I said, depends on the role. I don't think it would be too small for him, but I think certain managers did come to a step in their own development where even though it's a good role, you kind of need to test yourself a bit more. But I would think if you got something like as bruising as that one, maybe you want to take a step back. Maybe you want to do that. Um, so I think, yeah, it's essentially what Harry Kiel's done because he he was a manager and then he's yeah. And it's, it's also the sense of I, I I really don't like the idea that you just to sort of, just because you have a Celtic connection, there should be a job there if if you're a decent manager. I, I still think there should be an element of. See if you try to hire the best head coaches. Why don't you go and try and hire good, you know, <laughs> you know assistants or first team coaches as well? But as you said with Barcelona, what what kind of makes it easier to have a conveyor belt is if you have an overall structure that have roughly the same playing style, but you also have the same then the same type of recruitment and your head coach is in charge of the team and not anything else because then it's easier to have that conveyor belt because they know the system they know how to work within it and they have a specific role within that instead of at Celtic with again it's one of the few clubs that probably still have this where the manager is like Alex Ferguson type of manager still almost right and when it goes well we, we love that with Ange because you want to just give him all the trust and stuff, but it's not a great way of structuring your club. It's it's just not like your head coach. You shouldn't have a manager. You should have a head coach, and they should be, you know, have a certain area of responsibility. And this, but they should be a piece, the biggest piece in the whole structure. But they shouldn't be able to define the structure. The structure should define them. Uh, you know, not as mechanic as that sounds, but in overall terms. That's how you get the conveyor belt of, of of coaches of the same kind of style. No, not that it should be repetitive and just all the same. But the, this there's a vision, no, there's a evolution. Philosophy. Yeah, yeah, it's an evolution of it. But it's yeah. still your as I said, it's your head coach instead of a manager. A team that might have neither head coach or manager soon is uh, Glasgow Rangers. Uh, yes, Sef- Sefco, as some like to call them. Yes, Newco. Uh, what do you what do you make of it? Obviously, we, we were talking during the week about the fact that they've now got fourteen first team players out injured, and you were mentioning that they use the same AI uh, injuries or like fitness system that Liverpool use, and Liverpool have had quite a lot of injuries from it as well. Uh, what do you make of the kind of uh, Van Bronckhorst situation? Quickly, we've got about four minutes left. So, and uh, where, where do you think they'll go next when it comes to a, a manager? It's 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 a really funny one, right? It's it's literally for funny. Uh, no, so the injuries is like I know they use a specific kind of consultancy company who's. I mean, all sports science now is it's like data driven. 
you know, you have that athletic article on Livingston, you know, it's the same, you know, to, to take the metrics from, you know, uh, uh, the data for the running, how much to run and it, keeping that track and that it keeps those so it's, it's all like most sports science department will have a huge element of being data driven, but they do have a specific company. <laughs> I also work for Liverpool and it's quite funny when, when you kind of, it's not funny. Well, it's funny when you invest in that and then there's obviously not something quite like right in what they're getting right in terms of that schedule uh, and, and so on. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I think we kind of talked about it around the derby as well, where it seems like what Frambokas tried to do with, with Feyenoord was to try to make them into a more possession-based style and kind of move away from all that kind of back-to-the-wall stuff that got them success in Europe. That was pretty much not sustainable, but the, the, he kind of wants to play in, in a slightly different way, more possession-based style. <laughs> but then he doesn't have the players. He doesn't have the midfield, I think, is, is the main thing in terms of... He's great it, it, but, but but look at like Celtic's midfield in terms of the the, the technicality of those like Cal McGregor, Matt O'Reilly, Rio David Turnbull's great, Aaron Bosch got great as well, you know, and 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 then the capability, like the technical capability of the wingers and so on. But if you look at that, I mean, Lindstrom, you know, uh, Jack Davis, Kamara, like none of them. It, it seems they have players completely unsuited to what he's potentially wants to play and what he wants to do with it. And, and I think it, it's, it seems like an old squad. It, it seems like um, yeah, it's, it's, it's delicious, to be honest with you. So it's, I think it's, he's, he's kind of caught between trying to play one way but he doesn't have the players for it. And he's uh, and, and the recruitment is another big point in terms of what they've been trying to do. And interest doesn't help, but yeah, I love that there was a tweet about how they spent more on that Turkish left back that's not getting any games, and we did on like Matt O'Reilly, uh, Maeda, Hatate, and like Bernabe combined or something like that. So, and, it is, and again, it's it's planning. You know, I said this Tavernier is, is a great example, and they were delighted when they sold Nathan Patterson for like what eight nine million. Oh, because we've got Tavernier. I was like, he's still a thirty year old right back. He's he's gonna right backs fall off a cliff around that except, age, except Michael Lustig. Exactly, and you see, like there's, there's absolutely no planning for it. Tavernier's been his fallen off a cliff. He's he's never been the best, but he's, he's complete off it. Yeah. You know, and and then you know, spend your four or five million to get a new right back, but they haven't because you know we have Tavernier. So my my one hope is that Frank Lampard gets sacked at Everton and then becomes the next Rangers manager. That would be oh, absolutely imagine. Oh, I love it. I would oh, love it. Make it happen. <laughs> So that, that's been an absolute pleasure, Christian. We've, we've got another one. We've done another review and no one thought we could. So Great review. Uh, always yep. good reviewing with you. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I, mean, I think we're still going, aren't we? I've heard nothing to the country. Where we're going to go. We talk about the World Cup. Look at more stats. We'll, they'll never cancel us unless you do something cancelable. Because uh, I would uh, never do something. I think you're more likely to do that. But okay. I've been talking about United is playing, so we can talk about that. So. Uh, I think I'd rather go to the World Cup in Qatar. Okay, yeah. Uh, I've been Graham McKay, and we'll catch you down the road. Yeah.